0: Makers of Sport Podcasts, Episode 8, with Darren (laughs) Crescenzi. Welcome to episode eight of the Makers of Sport podcast. I'm your host, Adam Martin, at T Adam Martin on Twitter. Today on the show, we have Darren Crescenzi. Darren is a New York based designer and art director who creates compelling experiences through visual identity design, experience design, and image making. He has worked exclusively in developing brand strategy, visual identity, environmental, and product design for consumer-centric global brands across a wide range of industries. From a sports perspective, Darren got his start as a member of Nike's brand design global initiative team, where he developed seasonal campaigns, visual identity, and experience design, events, and packaging for a variety of innovative products, athletes, and sports moments. His most notable work is the design of Team USA's 2012 London Olympics basketball uniforms, as well as the iconic LeBron James rebranding and the highly acclaimed launch of the Nike Plus fuel ban. Uh, also, on a side note, Darren is the one that did the famous House of Westeros poster, uh, if there happen to be any Game of Thrones fans listening He's received awards from major business and design industry publications, such as being named one of Fast Company's 100 Most Creative People in Business and the Art Directors Club Young Guns. Currently, Darren is a design director at Interbrand, which is a global branding consultancy in New York. Darren, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you for having me. Uh, how are you doing? Doing well. Um, I touched briefly in the intro on your background, but can you go a little bit more in depth, like you know, from school to sort of where you're at today?
1: Um, well, I have had kind of an interesting circuitous path in design, um, in that I think I, I'm known a lot, I think for the visual identity work I've done, um, you know, doing, doing the the LeBron stuff and, and doing, um, the kind of expansion of, of Strong when I was at Nike and some of the more like very logo, very graphic design kind of work. But, um, that's actually a pretty small percentage of what I actually have been, have been doing. And so, um, you know, I come from a very traditional graphic design background. Uh, I grew up in a really small town in the mountains of central Oregon. Um, had no idea what, uh, what graphic design was, that it was a, that it was a field, that it was a, um, profession that I could have. Um, you know, I was, it's a town called Chamalt which is Klamath Indian for wife dies. And it's, uh, sits in the middle of the Wainima national forest and it's 45 miles to the nearest grocery store. We're talking like super, super rural. Um, So growing up in that environment, you know, I didn't have really that much exposure to like the commercial world or, or the kind of traditional places where you, you know, urban centers where you see a lot of graphic design and a lot of advertising and a lot of branding Um, just didn't have exposure to it. But my dad was actually an aviation artist. He, um, he painted like historical war scenes, um, airplanes, uh, air battles, and that kind of thing for, you know, for textbooks, for, um, for people whose, you know, grandparents were in the war and they wanted a painting of a battle they were in or something. Um, He did like, you know, nose cone art and bomber jackets and really, really cool stuff. But, um, as a kid, he was, he was a very meticulous researcher and as a kid, he, um, I used to dig into his books. He had all these books on the insignia of um, of aircraft and ships and and uniforms and uh, and you know the flags of of every country involved in all of these conflicts. And you know, as a kid, that stuff for some reason was what I got really into. You know, it wasn't so much the the planes or you know, all the other stuff that that he painted, but I would I would obsess over over the insignias um, on 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 his subject matter. And you know, I was this kid who at like four or five years old could draw like every single flag of every country in the world, because I just really geeked out on it. There was just something about it. I think there's a, a combination of, um, you know, it's usually simple shapes, simple colors that kind of really appeal to a kid. And, and you can actually draw them, you know, you can draw circles and squares and, and triangles and rectangles and things that kind of tend to make up, um, make up insignia. And, uh, that's what I did. Cause like a kid, I just like would draw flags and, and, you know, the U S you know, Side of the plane symbol all the time, and it was a very—it's a very kind of strange thing to have gotten into as a little kid. But um, when I look back on it now, it's pretty obvious that that—that that sort of informed my whole point of view on uh, on brand and on how to craft a brand. Um, that's a kind of a long-winded, you know early Spider-Man origin story, I guess. But um, I went to college at uh, Oregon State University um, where I went as a civil engineer because I didn't know what graphic design was. I had no idea. Um, throughout high school, I kind of was doing it. I was doing like layout work for the yearbook and the newspaper and all this stuff. But um, you know, I still didn't know that it was graphic design. So I went to college as a civil engineer um, and I had a job at the university working uh, for a thing called surplus property where we drove a big truck around campus and basically got, you know, tables and chairs that were being no longer being used. And we took them back to a warehouse and, you know, sold them at auction, basically. So I was going into all the buildings on campus and one day uh, stumbled into the art building and kind of looked around at the people and looked around at the stuff on the walls and said, this is where I'm supposed to be, and I um, changed majors that week and uh, met the professors in the um, graphic design department and realized that that was me, and that was that. Um, <laughs> never kind of looked back. Um, so the the department at Oregon State was uh, a perfect fit for me, uh, just because it's it was run at the time by a woman named Nira Spence, who was a sort of second generation Yale, you know, student of Paul Rand, um, kind of modernist designer and was a super instrumental figure in my both in my just life, but also in my sort of point of view and outlook on on the design profession. Um, very process oriented, very, um, very, you know, people focused as far as like thinking about end users and more of a design thinking uh, kind of experiential uh, point of view on not just, not just graphics, not just, um, you know, the way things look and aesthetics. So it's more about experiences and, uh, and, you know, design as a problem solving enterprise. And so that was super, super instrumental, um, in, in sort of my development and, uh, being, uh, at Oregon state, um, you know, there is, uh, uh, proximity to, to Nike that is, um, kind of hard to ignore because it's, you know, about, uh, about an hour up the road in Beaverton. And, you know, I didn't, it didn't aspire to go to work there necessarily, but, um, you know, there are some designers from, from Nike who were also alums of Oregon state would come down every now and again and and give talks and, and lectures and portfolio reviews and that kind of thing. And I met, um, you know, I met this one guy, uh, Jacob Wilkinson, um, who came down to give a talk and, and he was on a team at Nike called brand design and I showed him my work and he went back and mentioned me to one of the creative directors there. And, uh, they had me, you know, they looked at my work and my portfolio was you know, my senior portfolio was a stack of like, I don't know, eight by 10 foam core boards that were tied together with, (laughs) I I remember those. Oh, but it was like, it was like next level bad.
0: (laughs) Oh yeah. I'm, I'm 31. So how are you? Are you 30? I am. I turned 30 next week. Okay. So we were sort of on the tail end of that whole, like you were still carrying around a physical portfolio. (laughs) Definitely.
1: Yeah. There was no iPad yet. So there was no, um, there was no, (laughs) that's funny to think about actually, but, um, yeah, so it was definitely a physical portfolio and, you know, most people had like a bound book or a, um, like a you know an aluminum case with with slip sleeves that you know you do your work in as, as flats, and I just created this like insane, um, very crafty kind of package, and thank goodness, uh, the creative director and, and the design director on that brand design team. Um, so a woman named Heather Muni Day, who, you know, was probably my biggest mentor and, uh, and, uh, design director, um, Scott Denton Cardew, who, um, now runs a really cool environmental design shop out of, out of LA, um, that they were able to, to look past the form factor and, uh, and see that the work was pretty good and the thinking was good. And they brought me on as a summer intern. So I was, um, very fortunate, uh, to have that opportunity and, um, you you know, you get in the door there and you just sort of hold on for dear life and hope you get to stick around because it's a pretty cool experience to, to have an internship there. And it's highly, uh, highly, highly competitive. Yeah. A lot of fun, though. Um, sorry, this is a very long, long background story, but um, I think it's important... To like I said at the beginning, like my, my work has taken some really circuitous paths um, beyond kind of the stuff that I put on online um, as far as the work that I do goes. So um, my first project at Nike as an intern was to actually create um, sort of the experience journey and environmental design and some of the you know, collateral work for the Nike ID studio in New York. on the sixth floor of Nike Town, New York. And it was the, um, you know, one of the original sort of experience, like, uh, sort of appointment only, like one-on-one experience customization experiences that Nike had ever done. So it's kind of a pilot. And so, you know, I'm this kid who is obsessed with, you know, flags and logos and typography. Um, and I think that that's what I'm going to be doing when I, you know, get this internship and I walk in the front door and my first job is like, Designing this this crazy experience, like converting this online property of you know um, shoe customization and Nike ID. I don't know if everybody knows what Nike ID is, but it's a you know you go online and you can change the color of the different panels, color and material, the different panels of of the shoes you're ordering, and um, how to bring that to physical reality, and that sort of changed I think the course of how I thought about what I was, how my career was going to go because a lot of the work I ended up doing was experiential um, and about sort of retail journeys, consumer journeys, um, product launches and that kind of thing. So there's definitely like a huge graphic design, like traditional graphic design component to what I do, but there's a lot of um, this other stuff that happened uh, very early just because of, of where I worked the um, Nike does a lot of experiential work. So a lot of fun. I was an amazing, amazing internship on a great team
0: awesome so i don't definitely don't want to undermine any of the work that you have been doing lately as far as like at profit and interbrand but um i I do want to do do a little bit deeper dive on your time at nike so uh, and there's probably things that you you i know nike is pretty secretive in a lot of um things that they (laughs) do so so definitely discuss what you're most what you're comfortable with obviously it is a small podcast (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, a- 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 and let me know if we're going a little too deep, but sure. um, I- I'm just curious, like how many how many designers are at Nike? Like, are there different departments? I know you're like global brand design, and then like uh, I don- I'm familiar with Todd Van Horn. I don't know, is he? Oh, Is he in that department <laughs> I love that guy.
1: <laughs> um, yeah, well, 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 yeah, well, um, all, so the way it works, uh, it's, and, and I preface this with the fact that I haven't been there for over two years now. Right. Um, so I know there's been some organizational changes that I can't really speak to because I just have no idea. Um, when I started there, there was, they had just shifted to this thing. Well, actually let me take a step back. Um, so there's about Roughly six hundred or so designers globally at Nike. People who have the, the title "designer" um, in their in their name, but that goes that runs the gamut. It seems like a lot, but it actually runs the gamut of you know people who are designing, um, you know things like the Fuel Band. Uh, you know who are very hardcore like like mm-hmm. tech industrial designers, um, to people like. Uh, you know, like a Jason Petrie or an Eric Avar or Leo Chang, who are, you know, footwear designers who are like super, super kind of known as like we design shoes or, um, you know, up to like up to like Tinker Hatfield, right? People who are like shoe designers, Um, tons and tons of apparel designers. That's always been a big push is, is, you know, creating, creating super compelling apparel. Um, And that's a big, really big team. And so that's all kind of sits in product design Um, on the brand side. So it's kind of product and brand on the brand side. uh, There is Brand design, which is a team um, sort of tasked with uh, sort of maintaining the outward face um, of marketing. So it's the it's sort of the expression of of marketing. So that is um, photo shoots with athletes. That is any of the branding work. So logos, um, you know, athlete branding. Um, you know, they work a lot with with. Um, you know, partner organizations like USA Basketball or the Olympic Committee that kind of thing um, there is that team is also in charge of product launches so you know when we were bringing like FuelBand to the market or Flyknit or in any of these sort of technical uh, very sort of pinnacle um, pieces of product technology, brand design handles all of the, you know, art direction of the of the photo shoots and and concept for um, for how the storytelling around the products goes. And then they do a lot of sort of pinnacle retail experiences and then a lot of sort of internal activation work as well. So that's what brand design does. So brand design is basically um, anything that's branding related um, as well as marketing communication as far as you know retail initiatives around products and athletes and services. Um, and then there's there's a couple like offshoots of that. Uh, there's an innovation team that does more experience design um, that I was able to partner with a lot when I was there. There's now a digital team um, that has a few designers on it that's in charge of converting those initiatives over to the digital properties. So you know Nike.com. Um, there is a, a growing huge team around um, retail. So Nike right around about the time like what was starting had kind of made a huge. Uh, You know, billion dollar investment or whatever to become a a vertical retailer. So opening Nike stores like crazy, like designing what the Nike flagship experience was going to be. And then, you know, the takedowns of that and then rolling them out across the world. Um, You know, at one point leading up to the Beijing Olympics, they were opening like a store a day in China. It was nuts. Uh, But that team has like designers, but also architects, um, you know, experienced people. So there's a lot of of, of designers there. Um, Yeah, it's huge. I mean, it's absolutely massive uh, as far as the design organization goes, but there's a lot of communication between them, you know, this huge design get togethers. Um, you know, we used to do this thing like every year called design day where everybody got together, um, you know, in, like a warehouse in, in East Portland and like just had a giant party. Um, there's like a lot, a lot of really fun, really fun stuff. And, and it's, it's a great community. Like it's a, you know, it's a campus. Um, so it's your, it's like kind of like being in college where you're kind of contained in this wall. Um, and inside of it is all of these people who are like you, who, you know, have a passion for sport, have a passion for design. And so, um, it's a pretty, it's a pretty cool experience. To, to be around all of these folks who have this sort of singular focus, but they are all contributing in extremely different ways. Um, there's also teams that are embedded uh, that have designers that are embedded in geographies. So, you know, in um, there's actually a team that's the North American geography that's separate from the global team that just does activation for major markets in the U.S. Uh, as well as a team that does it for Europe, a team that does it for emerging markets, so like Brazil and that kind of stuff, uh, and a team that does it for um, for Asia. So designers all over the world, um, and a lot of them, but really, really, really high level of talent. And so brand design, um, is where I was. So again, the people who are kind of the the stewards of, of, brand messaging, um, and I should preface that's separate than advertising. There's advertising is kind of a different thing, and a lot of that work happens um, with partner agencies like Widen and Kennedy, or um, digital agencies, you know, like uh, like RGA, uh, do a lot of the sort of online um, and digital experiences and advertising. So a lot of that stuff is sort of outsourced, um, and there's a team that interfaces with them that's dedicated to it, but it's separate than what like design um, internally is doing. It's a really interesting thing, in that I think. It's changing. I think folks like myself and, and some of the other designers of my sort of era of brand design who have come up in the of, of, in the sort of zeitgeist of Behance and, you know, uh, Squarespace and uh, Cargo Collective and that kind of thing, who are actually externally talking about what what they do, um, because there was a huge perception that Nike didn't like the internal design team. they're you know, nobody seems to know if they have one or like how big it is or what they do. Uh, cause there's a lot of other people, freelancers, a- other agencies who, you know, who are pretty not shy about shouting about the work that they're doing for Nike. seems like everybody has a solution in their portfolio at some point. Um, but the team inside does a massive amount of the work and, uh, it's a super, super talented team.
0: Cool. So, um, I want to, I want to, uh, do a little bit of a deeper dive on experience. So I, I know that you were talking about your, your former professor, and and her um, influence from Paul Rand. I, I think a lot of people that are working uh, that are probably listening to this podcast, maybe they work in-house at like an NFL team or places like that where they're not. They're purely visual. Um, and and I'm really interested in experience. I think that Nike is one of those companies that has. um from a brand experience perspective, uh, they're on the same level as like an apple. So how much did, um, how easy of a transition was it for you to go from school where you kind of are getting a little bit of that ex- experiential type stuff into, I know you said you got kind of thrown right in and it's like, you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm curious to hear how that transition was for you and how you sort of grew in experience, um, you know, experience design all the way up through now. I mean, you're continuing to do that, right? Uh most definitely. Um the transition
1: was I mean, it's so long, it seems so long ago now that that, that that kind of happened. It was certainly um certainly an unexpected thing, uh when you you know you think you're gonna be, you know, doing typesetting and, and drawing logos and you end up like you learning about material palettes and how to you know how to control a consumer through, you know, not control, but like, you know, craft an experience through like six floors of an environment. Like it's it's super nuts. Um, and it does require sort of, I guess, a different skill set, uh, but it doesn't, it's still a design. So if you, you know, and I know the design, edu- the state of design education is in a lot of flux. Um, you know, we had a, a, a program that was, you know, really, really based in theory um, and principles and ideals and less about, uh, the way things look, or software, or technique, um, and the principles, and, I, and I'm a firm believer that at the undergraduate level, that that should be the case, uh, because those principles. Because I don't think that young young designers know necessarily what they're going to what their niche in design is going to be. There's so many facets to to design as a as a profession um, that you know you maybe have to fall into. You don't necessarily. Uh, You know go to a school to study it because you just don't have the the world experience to understand like what what your particular Offering is going to be to the world Um, and an undergraduate sort of program based on on principles and on theory um, helps to helps to give you the tools to to succeed in sort of any of those without boxing you into one in particular Um, I Know that for me the, the thinking about design as a problem-solving enterprise, you know, where you where you think about, hey, what's somebody's, more like, an, I guess we were taught almost more like industrial designers are taught, where you, you think about somebody's uh, experience, their, their life, their day-to-day activities, putting your, you know, empathy, putting yourself in somebody else's shoes and thinking about their life and looking for moments of friction, uh, you know, points points of a process where there's a, a mistake or an error or a frustration um, and then using design to fix that and that's in graphic design is usually things like wayfinding or icon design or you know branding that's meant to be um, hyper contextual so when I go back to like you know talking about like that idea of like insignias on aircraft like those were done so simply and so graphically as far from like a geometry standpoint because when you're flying a plane and trying to you know kill one another you want to make sure you're shooting at the right people right that's like a very practical design solution to a, to a pretty major problem. Um, and that's essentially branding too, right? It's like, you, you know, you have somebody's attention for, you know, a a millisecond and if they can't identify, uh, or, or, you know, attribute something to your brand in that millisecond, then your branding has failed. Um, I think designers a lot of the time, you know, they, they, they think that people are going to look at their work at the same level that they look at it. And that's just super, super unrealistic. Um, you know, it's like people who don't give these things thought, they just need to absorb it um, sort of subconsciously. And that's, I guess, has influenced both my graphic design, but also all of the way that I design um, all of these other things as well, because it's about uh, it's about about empathy and understanding people and and putting yourself in their shoes and going through their journey, um, in order to optimize an experience for them. And it, to me, it's the exact same process. I go through the exact same thought process either way. Uh, whether it's a, you know, a, a graphics communication project, or if it's a, you know, um, an environment or a product launch or a digital experience, that kind of thing. So I think for me, um, a background in, you know, very, very theory based design education was able to allow me to kind of, modulate between all these sort of different facets of design. And I think my big problem is I just haven't been able to pick one, you know? Um, And I've been fortunate that in my career, I I have been able to carve out a, a path where I don't have to like I you know I'm like currently I'm working on a digital experience project I'm working on you know a, a, a corporate branding project I'm working on an identity for a golf tournament so there's a little bit of sports in there and I'm also doing like uh, a freelance uh, project for a startup that's just something that I think is pretty cool so um, really interesting that you know if you if you don't box yourself in maybe you can kind of have a a career that has a lot of these different opportunities. Um, But at the same time, I don't have the level of expertise to say, uh, do, you know, to be like a really great, like front-end web designer because I just don't have the technology background necessarily. Um, I can sort of talk the talk so that I can interface with people who do know what they're doing. Um, So it's important that I have that cursory level of knowledge and an understanding of the principles of digital design, but I don't really want to do it. I have no desire to actually go, you know, make a digital experience. I'd rather work with really smart people who uh, can do it way better than me, and I'll just sort of guide um, kind of guide the process to make sure that the experience that somebody's having with it is is correct um, as far as a Nike standpoint goes, there is a, a huge emphasis on um, on that um, and it's an interesting thing because ex- like the experiential design, you know the way that you way that you get, cues across like how it's the brand you have to think about the brand and how it manifests itself through a tabletop how it manifests itself through a chair like what kind of chair should be in this you know nike experience what kind of uh you know what's the toilet paper in the bathroom i mean these are things that actually you kind of have to think through because they all reflect on the brand if you think about a brand is is not a logo it's not a it's not a well i mean essentially a brand is the sum of uh every single experience you have with an entity so from the way they look to the way they sound, to the way that they you know the way that they talk, the experiences you have with their people, to the lighting in their environments, to their digital property. and if any of those are wrong or bad or, or um, you know, make somebody upset or have a bad experience, that reflects on a total brand. So having a, the ability to, to look at brand from a very holistic point of view um, is actually, I think where my career is headed more and more and more. And that definitely comes from, you know, working inside of what is an incredibly strong brand full of very, very, um, smart people. That's great.
0: How, so uh, people, a lot of people that listen to the show, um, as I mentioned before, maybe they're working in-house at, you know, the NFL or uh, specifically I'm, I'm most familiar with college, just that being, uh, having been my previous experience, but there's a, there's a lot of, uh, hierarchies that tend to be, um, marketing or athletic director driven and then like the design tends to be purely visual it's like let's just do as much as that we that we can in photoshop just to make this thing look super cool yeah how can uh, do you have any advice <laughs> for, yeah do, do you have any advice for people that are wanting to kind of take that higher level of of brand thinking and incorporate it into like their daily jobs um you know maybe at in-house at a at a an sec football team or something like that sure
1: um i've done a lot of work you mentioned Todd Van Horn earlier uh, he built a team um, at Nike that is it's called the GIG the Graphic Identity Group and it's really just one person and maybe a junior designer or something like it's a really small team um, uh, but he the precursor to that was essentially Todd and I um, and a couple and a guy named Stuart Iwasaki um, who worked in licensing um, and sort of team sports design and we were you know it wasn't a, an official thing it was just he kept getting all these requests to re brand universities um you know because they you know nike has you know this whole like roster of these what we we'd call a sports marketing asset but you know a a team like a alabama or something um right who you know that nike pays a lot of money to be able to you know use to use their branding and uh to design their uniforms basically um and and obviously sell their merchandise um But there was all these requests for like, you know, hey, we really want to update and we love what you guys did with Oregon. And so, you know, can you take a swing at at doing it? And um, I got kind of sucked into that world with Todd because one of the schools that um, was kind of going through this process was Oregon State, which is my alma mater. Um, And I kind of got into it just because I was an alum um, and he wanted to bring people in who really knew the school and knew what it stood for and ended up just kind of taking it over. Um, So it was basically sort of Todd and I, um, rocking that thing to, to make the, the Beavers like, you know, a a pretty, pretty epic, uh, (laughs) epic team. Um, and unfortunately that my pass at it didn't work out, um, just because of, it was because of timing and they had just recently rebranded and, you know, it was a whole kind of political thing, but, um, it's a really interesting world. To, and we, you know, we're, we're obviously doing a lot of talking with some of their in-house teams and, and seeing what their concerns are and what their process is. And it's unfortunately a tough, a really tough process working in-house, at, a, at a, especially at a university, because they're usually public. Right. and so a lot of the work you do is concerned with donors and boosters and uh, people who aren't necessarily living in the day to day, but who are you're relying upon financially because um, they you know they invest heavily in school and athletic departments. Um, you know, cash strapped athletic departments like really rely on these people, and there's a certain sense that this is. I'll get to the marketing stuff in a second. I'm talking more about about brand in particular um, right now, um, but there's a certain Desire for all alums to have their school look like it did when you went there. Um, that is unfortunately a, a a barrier to sort of evolving um, some of the schools that really need it. And I, I'm a I'm I'm a big believer in tradition, uh, but I'm also a big believer in design and and the power that it has. Um, and I think there's a, a really beautiful opportunity for the marriage of those two things in um, athletic identity design in particular, uh, because you are dealing with a massively passionate fan base uh, of people who are truly invested in, in what is essentially a brand. Um, but at the same time, a lot of the schools, because they're you know working with visual assets that may be um, old or, or not particularly well realized the first time around. Um, could use a lot of help in that world, but they, you know, are reluctant, reluctant to change because of the alienation of fan bases. So that's It's a tough world, um, and you're also a lot of time dealing with committees. And, and we all know the old adages about design and committees. Um, it's a tough world, and uh, you know, the ones who do it really, really well, um, I can't help but uh, you know admire that they're you know they have some powerful leader, um, dynamic leader internally who's able to um, you know to, to get everybody on the same page and, and speak to the benefits of, of great design. Um, and it's important, I think, in, in some of these marketing organizations. So if, you know, if you're the in-house designer at the SEC, the example you used, who is basically getting marketing briefs and saying, like, hey, make this, you know, make this on-air package look like this and, and needs to be tough and cool and and get it whatever, you know, there needs to be, like, 30 seconds of LSU versus 10 seconds of whoever else, you know, like you're getting a lot of, like, really, really tough limitations. Um, it, you know, I guess the challenge there is to uh, sort of elevate design as... Well, let me take a step back. Marketing is trying to convince somebody that your product is good, right and design is is about making a good product. One of them is far more powerful than the other, and this is coming from a designer, so you know take it with a grain of salt but design <laughs> has a has a um and it's not that I don't like marketing and i you know I've obviously done a, a great deal of work in 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 marketing, but I think one of the advantages is you know, working at Nike anyway, is you're dealing with products that are pretty cool, right? They're already like kind of great products, um, really interesting. And you can be really honest in your storytelling. You don't have to like try to pull the wool over people's eyes or, or worry about um, you know, convincing them because they're kind of already convinced. You just need to be clear. You know,
0: you need to get at. Yeah. Like that whole lipstick on a pig mentality sort of thing. Like if the product itself is not good, it doesn't matter how good the packaging is, right? Like it's, it's going to be a failure. (laughs) So
1: the ultimate example of that, and you know, apologies to Microsoft friends, but it's the
0: Zune, (laughs) you know, you've
1: got, (laughs) you've got impeccably branded, great name, you know, beautiful product, but second to market and an inferior experience to the, to the iPod. And no matter how good the branding and the marketing and the messaging is around that product, it was destined to fail, right? Because, you know, there was something better out there. Um, You don't really have to deal with that as much in, in sports because everybody has their, their team, their loyalties and, you know, you know, the really historically bad teams still have very very loyal 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 fan bases um and that's a pretty cool thing but there's also a responsibility there um these people are investing their time in in a product that from year to year may be amazing maybe maybe not there's a certain need to honor and respect that dedication um for fans that sometimes I think can be predatory in the marketing world. Um, there's always this pressure. These guys are under a massive amounts of pressure. These are businesses at the end of the day, and you know they need to sell season tickets. They need to get you know butts in the stands. They need to you know try to sell merchandise. And there's pressure to do that. And I think the pressure to do that causes some irrational, um, decision-making a lot of the time that could be solved through, um, through some of those more design principles of empathy and, uh, wanting to create, create deeper connections through, um, through brand building. Um, again, this is my opinion. Um, and I know that a lot of people who work in marketing departments probably don't like hearing that kind of stuff, but, um, that's how I feel. So advice.
0: I'm with you. I'm with you.
1: Sorry. You asked if I had any particular advice. Um, and you know, like I said, it's a, it's a it's a tough world uh, in in to be in house, um, especially at a smaller smaller organization. But I think the number one thing that designers need to be doing um, is is understanding business. They really really need to know the why of why they're being asked to make the decisions that they are. Um, why marketing would come down with a certain you know certain point of view on something. They need to understand what the business impact of that is. Designers are. I think do themselves a great disservice by being very mercurial. Um, they're, they're, you know, they're the kind of uh, the creative kids in plaid who like hang out in the basement um, with their big monitors and don't like to talk to people. And it really does a disservice to our profession. Um, versus being, you know, versus design as a an integral function of business. You know, you've got to understand their world if you want them to understand yours. And the ability to have those conversations uh, is, is super, 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 super important if you want to elevate uh, the role of design within your organization. Um, I think there's a certain need to prove that you care about the business and the success of the business as much as you care about creating beautiful things um, or creating super rich experiences. You know, you've got to you got to be able to justify what you're doing um, on behalf of the business if you want marketing folks or the organization as a whole to listen to you and invest in your ideas. Um, and I think that that's that's my number one advice: is you just you got to learn and listen and be willing to, um, you know, understand the understand the why of your why you're being asked to do things, and then you can fight it better. You know, you can you can come up with better, deeper, more compelling solutions if you. Understand why you're being asked to do something. That's that's I guess my something I learned, you know, just from working with really smart marketing folks at Nike, and then in my job after that at Profit, which is a pretty hardcore, uh, you know, business strategy firm. Um, you know, working with really really brilliant people in that world, and then again in, in my current role at Inner it's it's kind of the same thing where you got really smart business people working alongside designers, and when that when that tandem is clicking, uh, is when really powerful stuff can happen.
0: That's beautiful advice, man. I I really appreciate that. I'm, I'm, I'm along the same lines. I, I, um, you know, I I think designers tend to, uh, you know, they tend to focus so much on the visual, and and it's like, hey, you know, I I really think that I should have this opportunity to, to, you know, as a creative director, and you're working with um, junior designers, it's like I really think I should be able to sell this to the client because I think this is the right right thing to do. Well, it's like, why do you think that's the right thing to do? Don't give me something that subjectively you think is the right thing to do, right? Because everybody has a completely different opinion and they can offer an opinion on things that are subjective. But if you approach it from an objective level and you have reasons, legitimate, strategic and business reasons for the decisions that you made, it's a lot easier to sell. Have you found, so I guess that kind of confirms what you were, your advice. Yes. And it's a, it's a rare talent. Um, the ability to,
1: to justify something like a font, like a typeface choice, uh, through business means is, you know, it's a rare talent to be able to actually do that. But the thing is, if you're approaching design from a uh, more of that design thinking point of view... Where the decisions you make are all based on something that is not arbitrary and something that is not necessarily aesthetic, then you can—you don't necessarily have to make it up. You know, there's that whole like you know designer bullshit kind of thing—the um, the post-rationalization of, of aesthetic decisions. That you know, it's fine. We all do it. We all have to do it every now and again. But um, if you're actually working that way from the onset of a project, then you don't have to make it up as you go, and uh, and people. Um, Who are not in the design function tend to get on on board and champion it Um, The big the best thing you can do is to actually make you know, make your your marketing partners or make your clients feel like this thing that you're making is absolutely integral to the growth and success and sustained success of their business Um, making those people not thinking of them as people you need to convince to get your work through but people that you want to bring in and have them advocate for your work. Um, there's a, there's a, like thinking about it more as like a partnership versus this sort of antagonistic. That's the wrong word, but you know what I mean. Like this, oh, I have to convince them. That's the wrong attitude uh, to go into a project with. It's how do I solve this person's problem so well that they're going to think my work is the solution and they're going to actually take it and and champion it within their organization um, and and turn these turn clients into these these sort of design, uh, you know, people who wield the flaming sword of your design. <laughs> and that's the, that's the goal. It's hard. It's not easy. and not, not that many people in the world are good at it, but, um, it's, it's always the goal.
0: Yeah. How, how important is visual application? Like exam, uh, Nike's, uh, has been really good at this where, you know, you, you send a, um, as it regards to showing a, a, a rebranding, right? Like you're not just going to show the rebranding to your client, whether that's, you know, um, uh, your alma mater um, or Oregon or whoever, as just like, here's the logo on like a white, you know, white background. But you actually like apply it. Right. So, like, how important is that um, as it regards to the rebranding? And then also, do you think that it's in some cases more important, the actual visual application than the logo itself?
1: I think you have to read you have to read the audience. Um, you have to understand the personalities that you're presenting to. Um, for the most part, if you're working with non-visual people, uh, it is it's pretty worthless to just show the logo on the middle of the page by itself. Um, I know when we were doing some of the university work with with Todd, uh, you know, we were showing the mark, um, you know painted on the center of the field. Uh, We were showing it sort of on uniform. We were showing it on letterhead and and that kind of stuff. Um, You know, showing it on you know, I know when we were doing the Oregon state work, I, I, I've, I've learned how to, so I'm a master at this. Like I'm, this is one thing I will like brag about. I'm super good at Photoshop at <laughs> like applying logos to things. I'm just like, I got really, really into it. Like the, the, I think it's cause I have a, the background in photography, like doing a lot of working with, with photographers and retouching and, um, you know, athlete photo shoots at, at Nike, I just learned a lot about it, about how to, you know, um, convincingly uh, develop, you know, Photoshop comps. Um, I think designers tend to live in this illustrator InDesign world and ignore, you know, Photoshop cause it's more for you know, like photographers and art directors and motion graphics people. Um, but if you get really good at it, it can be really powerful. Um, so I think it's really key, you know, context is everything. Logos live in the world. And they don't live in the middle of a white piece of paper. And when you're working with non-visual people, it's really helpful to, to see um, to see how the thing looks in context. Um, I always try to do something that's going to be really, really familiar to them. So um, for example, like Mike Riley's hat, for example, I think was a big one because, you know, he's an invested stakeholder in that identity. Um, why would he not want to see how it looks on the thing that he's known for, which is his baseball cap that he's always wearing? Um, he's the star the coach at Oregon State. Um, There is, you know, when we were doing, um, we were doing some work for the Olympic committee, uh, U.S. Olympic committee, and we embroidered the logo onto the actual uniforms and brought it with us to the, to the pitch. So it's not even just that you're showing it on a screen or in a deck, but you're actually like bringing in physical artifacts um, that you can throw on the table and they can, you can, they can see like, Oh, this is how it looks embroidered. And this is how it, I mean, it helps that we had the advantage at Nike, at least of, you know, being able to do all of the embroidery and product application in house because there's a you know a big uh, prototyping studio. Um, it's a little different, sort of in the world in the brand world that I'm in now, because a lot of the stuff is remote or it's you know shown on a screen or it's in a PowerPoint or whatever. Um, so the the ability to put put branding into context as um, I think it is key, um, but it's a it's a skill that you have to have to develop because I don't think. Many designers are that native at it, and as as much as a great comp can um, can sell your design, a bad one can also hurt it. Right. And then I also think there's a certain degree of when when do you pull out those guns? Um, and sometimes an un like an underdeveloped idea that's then applied can can take the and and you know brought into reality through through comps or otherwise. Um, that can that can really kill it. In its infancy, um, kill a good idea before it has the chance to become fully fully formed. So, I know my personal process, especially working with freelance clients, but also with with corporate clients, is to start um, to start more you know unrefined, like a very like, hey, these these logos you're about to see are not um, none of these is your logo. Like they're not they're all. Uh, Part of a a larger process, but these are ideas, Um, and each of these things can go and and be evolved further visually. But these are the ideas and the concepts, Um, and maybe at that stage you'd show like one application, but um, and then after they get you know narrowed down to one or two, and you refine them, then you um, you know then you blow it out and show it show it in in every. Um am in every iteration possible, but yeah, it's important. I think it's important.
0: So let's, let's fast forward to where you are now at interbrand. And I know that you're, you're doing some freelance work. What role did you have in the, in the Charlotte Hornets rebrand? Uh, so that's a freelance project. Yeah. Um, that is uh came from brand Jordan. So
1: that's just a really interesting situation in general. I have no idea how much I should talk about it, but um, really interesting situation in that you have a league that is an Adidas league, um, where Adidas handles the uniform design with you know league approval. Um, and you have a team owned by a man who has a brand himself that is owned by Nike. Um, and the, the tension the, the tension and I'm talking obviously about, about Jordan, uh, Michael Jordan owning owning the, the Charlotte Hornets. Um, there's this, this really, really interesting tension there and I have no idea behind the scenes because I, I was not actually really interacting with the clients on that directly. I was sort of I guess freelance muscle on um, on just the primary mark, and then there is was an agency out of Atlanta called Rare, um, which I think you, I think you're interviewing Rodney, right?
0: Yeah, I'm interviewing Rodney. He's he's next. He's on deck. Okay, I think cool. They're in yeah, Mississippi? Great, are they? Okay, I thought they are Atlanta. Um, yeah, but
1: yeah, he's a, he's a great dude. I've I've been on a few phone calls with him um, during the, the process of that project, and he's he's a really nice guy. Um, but anyway, so that came to me actually through through the um, creative director of Jordan Brand, um, who was somebody I worked with a lot back in the day and and uh, thought I'd just be a good fit for it. And, you know, it's pretty cool to uh, to have some of these, like, things like that that are just, like, total bucket list projects. Um, you know, being able to work on, on something like an NBA rebound. I'm a very passionate basketball fan, like extremely freakish Portland Trailblazers fan. <laughs> nice. Like, it's bad. But having the opportunity to work on, uh, on a branding project like that. And we're, you know, working on the, the identity for my alma mater is another one. Like that's a thing that God, who would not kill for that project. Um, you know, team USA and branding, uh, you know, branding the look and feel of the, of the, um, you know, the redeem team to <laughs> the 2012 Olympic team. Um, you know, seeing, seeing that on television and like seeing guys like, you know, Kobe and LeBron walk out with, with the thing I'd created on them. Like there's just a level of, of awe that you can't really quite get your head around. Um, and that call, that phone call to do the Hornets was like, you know, obviously I would love to have been running it, but, um, you know, that's unrealistic as a freelance project because you know, I, I'm busy with like a lot of other like actual, um, day-to-day client work. Uh, but the ability to just work on that in my evenings and weekends and downtime, um, was, was really, really cool. And the fact that you know, I was really just contributing ideas, um, as as was rare, and the you know the the amalgam of those things kind of ended up as the final final identity. So, um, pretty cool to see that I you know there's a my hand is very heavy in it, and it's it's I'm excited to see it on court next year. Um, I saw the court design uh, recently on on some blog, and uh, it looks amazing and just like the honeycomb pattern in the in the parquet of the floor. Um, and then the big Hornet in the middle, it's like super, super cool. I got to go down there and see him in person. I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to be a de facto Hornets fan now, I think just because of, because of this process.
0: <laughs> nice. I, I'm, I'm super nostalgic about the Hornets, uh, in Charlotte. I mean, I, I, you know, I'm a huge basketball fan too. And growing up, you know, playing things like NBA live and, um, you know, I, I, there was one point where I could be Brian's
1: NBA courtside. That was the game.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Or, uh, what was a uh, bird? What was it? Bird versus Jordan. It's like a one-on-one game like years ago. Ooh, it was, that was a solid one too. Um, but yeah, it's, it's oh, member arch rivals, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, uh, no, man, that's, that's super solid work. So how, um, how much wor- uh, execution of like graphic design are you doing in your, in your day to day now with interbrand, or are you more like on the strategic and, and thinking side? Yeah, that's a great question.
1: Um, I made kind of an active decision going to, going to interbrand. It's a, it's an awesome company. Um, I know our website's kind of in a bad state right now, but we're fixing that. Um, <laughs> hey, Innerbrand's, you know, it's a cool place. It's like, it literally is the biggest branding agency in the world. Like it's huge. Something like 34 offices, um, really, really, really smart people. Um, and a really impressive creative team. Um, honestly, like I, you know, when I was interviewing at, at interbrand, I went down to the studio and I was shocked because it's really cool. It's like messy and feels like a Feels like the you know the the computer lab at the design department at school. Like it's like really young, a lot of really impressive juniors. You know, guys. You know, guys from you know from from Pratt and uh, SVA and you know some of the New York schools. You just have an amazing pool of talent in New York City. Um, but the energy, like, you, there's something like when you walk into a place into and into a studio, and you can tell the, if the energy is there. Um, And it definitely has it. So it was a pretty cool opportunity to go down and work with like a lot of young designers and and run a team. Um, Specifically, my title is actually Design Director of Innovation. And that is a a—it's kind of a weird title, but um, I don't sit entirely with the design team. I'm kind of a a bridge between design and strategy. And I, I just have that that, that thought process, that kind of business thinking thought process, um, sort of baked in me. I don't know if it's partially the years at profit, um, which is very, very, very business focused or, or just like hold over from, you know, from l- watching and listening and learning at Nike or if i it's just in me, I don't know. Um, but I, I sit on, on half design, half strategy. Um, and my, my gig is trying to help, um, develop some new, new off new service offerings at interbrand. So some more like product, product development and, uh, um, experience design opportunities, you know, and helping to build out the teams for, for those. Um, but I also sit in the design team. So I jump into, you know, identity projects, like corporate identity projects and, uh, some of the other really cool, like more graphic design stuff, like no matter what I do, I'm, I'm a graphic designer and I always will be um, no matter where the career path kind of takes me. And if I'm not doing some logo branding kind of project, I kind of go crazy. So yeah, a lot of my job has become facilitating or, um, you know, working with clients um, or, you know, working on, on internal stuff to help develop these new, these new competencies. But um, I'm always, I'm always got always got something going from a design standpoint and then I freelance so one of the really great things about you know when you when you start to kind of climb I guess the ladder a little bit um, is you know you're not because you're not doing design all day Um, when you get home, you have the energy, the creative energy to, you know, make your own side projects to, um, to do, you know, freelance work for, you know, your friend's startup or whatever is coming your way. Or if you're, um, you know, you're in the weird situation where something like the Hornets thing comes up, you're just like, okay, I'm going to do that project. Like I don't care if I'm not going to sleep. I have to actually like Take that on, um, so it's cool. It's a it's a really perfect opportunity for me because it taps into my um, you know the the breadth I guess of my skill set and allows me to um, to help develop you know talent and, and build a team and manage people and it's a it's a really cool opportunity and I think the work um, the work we're doing is really really strong right now and I, I'm I'm excited for our our digital refresh um, so we can start showing people what we're actually up to because we're not really doing it now. So it's cool. It's good. It's a good job.
0: Awesome. So uh, I, I'm super passionate about design and, and branding in general. So things like interbrand and just the, you know, the, tr- the more broad reaching scope of of the design community, but but this being a, a sports related podcast, I keep uh, defaulting back to your time at Nike. So I, yeah. I, I want to go back to that back to that again. Um, h- how does how does um, I noticed a lot of freelancers that tend to do work for Nike if if they haven't already worked at Nike, like yourself, you know, you already had an existing relationship with our directors and creative directors there. Uh, I noticed that a lot of them tend to have like representation as it regards to like illustration reps or things like that. Mm. If if one wants to get on the radar of say, as a freelancer doing work for Nike, how, how, do you have any advice for doing that? Having been there and seen it?
1: So I think a lot of the stuff you're talking about, and it's when I was describing Nike's sort of internal design organization, I left out a glaring omission. Um, and I apologize to Heather for leaving this out, but <laughs> there's a, a whole department called the um, TCOE and their job is is creating the bajillions of graphic tees that, that Nike puts out, um, which is a lot of product, um, and a lot of really, really cool product. And, you know, there's a ton of designers there who, um, who make amazing stuff like internally, but there's, they also have, um, you know, art directors and design directors who, whose job is essentially to find like, Hey, who's doing really cool work out there. I want to see if we can go work with them, um, to create, you know, to create, you know, basically, wearable graphics. And it, it goes beyond, it's not just t-shirts, it's like, you know, apparel graphics in general that are all really, really interesting. Well, but they're always on the lookout for, um, for people to bring in on, a, on an illustration basis. And, you know, that whole, the whole rep thing is super interesting because I wrote a piece for the AIGA um, um, doing like a kind of a future casting, you know, the, the design studio of the future thing. And, and I, I brought this point up there as well. But illustrators and photographers work on a rights model Right. You create an illustration and they, you know, the entity you create it for buys it for a limited amount of time um, and buys it for use only in certain applications. So if I designed a T-shirt for Nike and the contract was for T-shirts for fall 16, Nike can't use anywhere else. If they want to, they got to pay me again. Or we need to negotiate a different upfront deal. That's how that's the illustration works. And so yeah, a lot of these guys have have reps. Um, guys and gals have reps, and that's that's just kind of baked into that industry. Um, and part of it is you just need it because you can't manage that stuff on your own. I mean, you you, you need to as an illustrator be able to focus on creating great work, um, and that contract business stuff gets so. Complicated and so messy and uh, you really need somebody to have your back. Um, and also, if you're one of these one of these folks who really is highly desirable and is getting hit up all the time, um, that just fielding those inquiries and kind of trying to sush out what the right opportunities are and and figure out what you should you know what what project you should accept when you shouldn't when to negotiate like you just don't want to be doing that on your own because you need to be working um so that's what i think where why reps come in and the photographer is the same way like if you're, if you're kind of an established photographer you're not really doing that work on your own hopefully um because you're you not should be shooting um i've always thought that the design model is a very strange one in that you have i guess the more apt comparison with like branding design is to advertising right so in advertising they'll do spec they'll do spec work because Um, the money is actually made on the media buy. It's the cut on the media buy. So they're willing to do creative up front because they're not being necessarily paid for creative. So, you know, proof of concepts, kind of that kind of thing up front to win the work because the money comes from the media buy. In branding, the, the creative thing is what you deliver. Um, and so you can't you can't really do the work up front because there's no guarantee that you're going to get paid for it if you don't get the job. So there's a it's a different business model and it's a frankly a precarious business model um, because I think you have a lot of people saying we'll do the work up front and we'll do the spec um, because they're especially ad agencies moving into that territory because they can afford to and branding agencies you really it's really it's really tough and graphic designers it's really tough um especially as a freelancer or or small studio it's um it's a thing you really have to think about like how do i balance winning the work with getting paid for the work and it's uh if i had a solution there um I, i would present it to you all but um i do think that there's something to that light rights model that is really interesting for designers um but even more so i think equity stakes are a really interesting thing that i've seen designers doing especially at the startup level so you get a designer who, you know, who's like, "I will do this for you, but I want you know five percent of the company for like black startups and that kind of thing," um, which I think is also a really, a really interesting way to sort of monetize your creative output in the long term uh, versus it being these sort of very, very project to project, paycheck to paycheck kind of situations that freelancers often find themselves in, and you know, I'm fortunate that I don't really um, do have to deal with that cause I work at an agency. Um, but I have a lot of friends uh, that I really admire who, you know, who, who go that freelance route. And, um, you know, I, I don't admire that part of it. Like that struggle seems like it would be, would be tough. Right.
0: So is it, is it best to have like a, like a specialty to maybe get on the radar if you don't have that representation?
1: Yeah, I think so. Um, I think an illustration, you need to be known for something. I think it's a ba- it's a bad thing when designers do it uh, because you, you you can't solve a problem the same way, you know. Mo- you know, time and time again, like you, every product needs a different approach and a different outcome. Um, so style is a scary thing for designers, but for illustrators who are trying to get on the radar to do what they do, um, yeah, absolutely. I, I think you you need to be willing to to do. Um, I'm not a big fan of folks who do, like, like, work that's pandering to a client. Like, I really want to work for Nike, so I'm going to do a bunch of stuff that is, like, fake Nike stuff. Um, and I guess that's, I mean, it's fine to do. Like, I think it's, especially at the student level, it's, like, it's really important to um, to try out a bunch of different styles to figure out what your voice is and all, and, and all that stuff. But I don't think it's necessarily the best way to get, to actually get to work for that company. Um, I think if you're doing really great stuff... Um, on your own for yourself for smaller clients and the passion and the craft is super evident that's really what they're looking for you know if you do the thing that you do really well it's the job of the design director um at nike to figure out how to use you um but what they're looking for is craft and passion and something new and different and something you know that that gets them excited you know their their designers I mean, you know A bunch of friends who are who are art directors and design directors there and you know they they want to be excited about it just like we want to be excited about making it um and so they're looking for people who who are really passionate and really care and really um have a craft that they that they see value in and so that's really the key um i don't think that doing doing work that looks like nike is is a good idea because that's not what they're looking for
0: That's interesting that you say that because it seems like, um, I I notice a lot through Behance and things like that, or just some of the illustrators and designers that tend to get work from Nike aren't doing that, you know, like exactly what you're saying. They're not the ones that are out there on Behance making fake Nike ads or whatever. Does it tend to be insulting as an in-house designer when you see that kind of stuff? I don't think so. I think it's a testament
1: to the, the love people have for that brand. You know, if anything, it's flattering, um, you know, and Nike Legal is not really going to go around trying to like shut people down. I mean, I shouldn't say that because they might, but um, you know. But it's like it's all flattering. It's all like if, you know. The scarier thing would be if nobody was doing that. Like if nobody was inspired by the brand to go make stuff, then um, then that would be a bad. be a bad place to be. So no, it's not insulting at all. Um, there, there is there is issues that come up, legal issues that come up in that it's really, in this sort of age of the internet, it's really hard to prove what you have or have not seen. So I get a lot of email. I used to get, not so much anymore, but I used to get a lot of emails from people, like random people being like, oh, I have this product idea for Nike. Um, and, you know, but you're the only person I, I have an email address for who who works there or knows people there. And, you know, can you put me in touch with the right people? And the policy, Nike is an extremely strict policy about shutting those emails down and referring them to, um, to a specific you know person uh, in, internally and the reason is if say Nike's already working on that idea right and you can kind of prove that the cookie trail of um, of oh no I had that idea and I told this guy at Nike and now it's out and I didn't get paid for it but it was already happening that's a very legally precarious place so Nike legal is very smart and they you know they' they' you, you're drilled as an employee there on like how to handle those situations and what to do um, but it happens visually too because it's sort of like you know, we're all consuming visual culture constantly, and and you have something that you know vaguely looks like something else, but you happen to do it for a brand like Nike. All of a sudden, you can be a target. So you have to be really careful about what you're looking at and uh, you know where you're pulling inspiration from. Um, and you know, we do live in a bit of a culture of. And I don't think it's a good thing of um, you know going on to Behance or or Pinterest or design inspiration or whatever whatever sort of visual blogs you you read and just like looking at stuff constantly. And I feel like, and maybe it's not real, and maybe it's my imagination, but it feels like work is becoming iterative. Um, that there's a lot of people out there referencing each other and building on what each other are doing, but like not in a way that's adding to the sort of visual discourse. Um, I try to limit how much I'm doing that because I don't think it's a good habit that and the kids are so, the kids are so talented these days. I just get intimidated. Like they're just, they're nuts. There's so many (laughs) good, good young people out there. And I just can't look at it because I get like, yeah, I get scared.
0: (laughs) I'm getting, I'm getting old and irrelevant. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you and me both. I th- I I totally agree with that because if you look at sites and this is not a knock against dribble because I love dribble, but if you look at sites like that and you look at the popular page, it, it like, you know, just to take a glance at it and not to look in depth at the work, everything looks the same. You know, it's the same visual style. It's um, you know, maybe it's illustrative or like uh, you know, thick line uh, illustration type stuff or whatever. And, and it's almost like, you know, I don't know who did this because this is like 10 different people and it's the same, it looks the exact same, right? It does. And, and, you know, I've
1: done, I've done work that's stick line illustration, I guess. And that, you know, it'd be hard to say that I wasn't, <laughs> wasn't, well, it'd be hard to say that I wasn't influenced by, you know, by that. I mean, it's certainly uh, not a style that I pioneered. Um, and, but that, you know, that's different cause it was like not a client project and, you know, am just kind of exploring and playing, but, uh, but yeah, you're right. I mean, there's a lot of work out there that, and it, I think the problem with with looking at work on the internet in general is it's it's separating aesthetics from from context or from purpose. Um, the truth is, like what gets me like super turned on about design work is when it's doing something, when it's making people behave a certain way, when it's you know it's getting somebody from their from their plane to the taxi cab through wayfinding, you know, when it's so it's like really having true impact. That's what design is. Um, it's really, really hard to tell those stories on the internet, and it's really hard to make people read um, and to like read what the what the actual brief was and what the problem was and how you approach solving it, because that's really where the the interesting stuff comes out. Uh, but you know, we we tend to consume things just like, oh, that looks cool, that looks cool, that looks cool, and it's it. I'm sorry, my dog is um, scratching and uh, jingling. L- no problem. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, pickle, stop. I had her distracted with a bone and that's Gone. Now. <laughs> um, sorry, totally. We'll have to edit that out.
0: <laughs> oh, that's that's no problem. Well, I, I, I do want to say no, uh, I, no offense on the thick line illustration thing. That's uh, that was just a random example. I'm a big fan of Aaron Draplin, who's probably the king of thick line <laughs> thick line illustration. But um, I, I know that you're a super busy guy, so I, I definitely don't want to keep you around uh, much longer. Uh, w- you know, one last thing: if you had kind of any advice um, for people that are, um, you know, wanting to. To do some higher level sports related work or or make the right connections, can you can you give us some of
1: that? I think that if you want to be doing this sport, because I guess for me, I never set out to do sport. Um, it it was sort of logical in retrospect because I'm you know I'm a very passionate sports fan and especially passionate basketball fan, um, and I fell into it. And I think that it's hard to, especially a place like Nike, who you know can pull pulls just talent right it's like it's pulling the people it goes after folks versus you know you going after them and I, I think at the end of the day um you just have to be doing great work wherever your whatever your situation is and wherever you are at you need to be doing the that work to the best of your abilities and then putting it out into the world and you know hopefully people are noticing um I think you know uh, I think it's a I'm gonna butcher a Vignelli quote but um doing great work you know gets you more great work and better great work um, you know if you can do you know if you can do uh, me- have measurable impact on your in-house team uh, at your small small corporation and demonstrate that and tell that story then other people are like oh I need that and they'll hire you and that just snowballs and it's you know it's very much an iterative, you know you have to build sort of your personal brand as a as a designer a problem solver um and it's not there's no like there's no like magic wand you can wave it takes a lot of hard work design is really really hard work to do it at the at the highest level and requires a certain type of certain type of person to to do it and uh if you think that um you know recreating something you found on Pinterest is going to get you there. that is not not the case, not to end on a negative note, but um, you know it's, it's hard work and, and you got to be original and you have to have original thinking to how you approach problem solving. Um, it's not about style. I mean in design it's not about style. In illustration, it can be very much so. but um, in design it's really really not about style. It's about thinking a thought process and what you're like to work with. That's the other big one. Like I, a lot of people that we would hire at Nike were folks that were previously folks we freelanced with. Um, somebody that we had hired, um, you know, or from an agency that we had hired, and we just had a great experience with them, and you know, we'll make the call like, hey, you, you know, are you interested in uh, in in maybe coming out to coming out to Oregon? And it happens organically. Um, it's a people profession, you know. It's a, it's a it's all about the type of folks you want to work with and surrounding yourself with them, and and hopefully they can bring something. Uh, you know, bring something to the table that allows your 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 team or your organization to grow um, in, into new and different directions. And it's the same way in a brand too. It's like we we bring in freelancers constantly, and if somebody is just killing it, that's somebody that we'll will probably ask to to stay around in some sort of more official or permanent capacity. So, um, I guess if there's advice, it's it's like you know, don't take any of the design projects you have lightly. Um, do them all at the highest level to the best of your ability, and and that will get you more work and then just be somebody that other people want to work with and want to have around. And that's, that's really the two, the two keys. And I, that's not necessarily sport specific. And that's because I don't think there's any difference uh, between designing for sport and designing for anything else. Um, It's, it's, all has the same goals. It just has a different topic. Right.
0: Agreed. Thanks a lot for your time, man.
1: I appreciate it. Oh, thanks, Adam. It was a lot of fun. Um,
0: My next guest is uh, also an alumnus from Nike. Um, He's been running his own design studio in Hattiesburg, Mississippi since 1999. Rodney Richardson, founder and creative director of Rare Design, who Darren and I actually mentioned on the show earlier, will be joining us for an interview. Rare is a design and branding agency that does a lot of work in the sports world. Some of their most uh, recent notable work are brand identities um, in collaboration uh, with Brian Jordan and Darren on the Charlotte Hornets identity, as well as uh, formerly the New Orleans Pelicans, the Portland Timbers MLS team, and um, the Rip City brand for the Portland Trailblazers. Big thanks again to Darren Crescenzi. You can follow him on Twitter at quick underscore brown underscore fox. Um, also, be sure to follow myself, T. Adam Martin, at the sh- and, and the show at Makers of Sport. Uh, if you feel that these shows are uh, providing some value to you, please take some time to rate it on iTunes, Stitcher, or whichever app you happen to be listening to it in. Uh, it's a lot of hard work putting these things together and hearing from uh, you guys means a lot. So uh, it, it, the feedback makes it all worth it. Uh, please check out the website, makersofsport.com. Sign up for the email list where I send out show notes and will most likely begin sending digests of articles posted to the site. You can also submit questions for myself or guests there at makersofsport.com. Until next time, have a good week. Signing off. Thanks.